My name is Marlon. Welcome to my podcast. You can find a blog post that accompanies this message on prmarlon.com. That's P-R-M-A-R-L-O-N dot C-O-M. May God bless you. Series. We've been following Luke chapter 15. And I am so glad that you decided to join us here. Those of you who are here in person and those of you who are watching the live stream, also welcome and thank you for joining us. And if you are watching the live stream, I just invite you to leave a comment and give us some feedback. I love the interaction. And by the way, if you heard the choir singing and you thought, man, I would love to be up there singing with the choir. I have good news. We have rehearsals Wednesday nights starting at 730. And if you want, as a bonus, if you come at 630, we have prayer meeting. So we spend some time in prayer. We do some Bible study and then we transition to a choir practice and then we're here from 7 30 usually until 8 30 with the choir practice it's open to anyone who would like to join so prayerfully consider it the good thing is we have plenty of room here to spread out more add some more seats we'd love to have you join our choir i invite you to open your bibles to luke chapter 15 we're going to be talking about the parable of the lost son and that's going to be starting with verse 11. But before we jump into it, I invite you to bow your heads with me for prayer. Father in heaven, we have come together. We've been singing and worshiping and praying. And Lord, right now we're going to jump in, dive into your word. And Lord, I am so grateful that you have protected these writings and made sure that we would have access to them today. So Lord, as, as we spend time studying your word, we ask that the same Holy Spirit that inspired the writers of this book will speak to our hearts and teach us the lessons you would have us learn. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke chapter 15, it records several stories. The first one I shared with you a while back. And if you missed it, it is on our YouTube channel. I think it's on our Facebook page. It's on my blog as well. We talked about the lost sheep. Interesting thing about the lost sheep, the, we talked about this, how the sheep you know, nibbles its way into lostness, right? It gets distracted by this and that, and the, before it knows, it's lost, and it can't find its way back, and how the shepherd went and found the sheep and brought it back, and there was great rejoicing. And then last week, Pastor Jason led out in the study about the lost coin, which was lost inside the house. An interesting thing about the coin, it doesn't know it's lost, it had to be found. The sheep had to be found. The coin had to be found. And the key theme here is that there was much rejoicing once the coin was found. And today we talk about the brother, a young man who was lost. And we're going to dive into this. And by the way, I have a blog up. I put Pastor Jason's sermon notes up as well for his sermon from last week. So prmarlon.com or you can scan um, the QR code. And it's not up yet because I don't want you reading ahead, but it will be up by the end of the service. It's scheduled to go up. And, and then you can follow on that. And I usually have the audio added later on. So if you want to listen or share it as a podcast, it's also available. So if you're ready, if you have your Bibles open to Luke chapter 15, I invite you to turn to verse 11. And, and let's see what it says here. Let's look through it together. Uh, I'll read and you can follow in your Bibles. It says, then he said, and this is talking about Jesus. Jesus said, a certain man had how many sons? Two sons. 
And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. This parable is known as the parable of the prodigal son. And it's, it's an unfortunate name. Uh, I mean, I, I know where it comes from and we're going to get to that. But it's just it focuses on the son, on the one who messed up. And we sort of talk about it that way, right? I, I, I label this series Lost and Found and the Lost Sheep, the Lost Coin, the Lost Son. But really, I believe the highlight here is of the shepherd who found the sheep, the woman who found the coin, and of the father in this story. So for the sake of the story, for the theme, you know, we'll call it the lost son, but or the prodigal son. But really, it's the story of the merciful father. But we're not there yet. We're going to get there. But amen is right. So there's a man who had two sons. And in reading this, and you get a little perspective into to my mind. Uh, you know, when I read the Bible, I'm trying to connect dots with, with everything, with the music that I see or movies that I might watch, interactions with people. And as I was reading this story, the story of the two sons, and when the son goes to the father and he says, you know, father, give me the portion of the goods that falls to me. It reminded me, strangely enough, of a cartoon that I watched. It came out in 1994. 1994 was a good year. 1994 was the first time I came to the United States. I came to visit. I visited Disneyland and it was amazing. Well, actually, no, Disney World. I'm sorry, in the East Coast. I visited Disney World. 1994 was also the year that Brazil won the World Cup. It was their fourth title. And it was the first time that the World Cup was decided in the penalties. And you know, those were the good days. Somebody was asking me, you know, what are your thoughts on Argentina winning the World Cup? And it says it's just another sign of the end. You know, it's, it's not like the, the things used to be. But anyway, in 1994, there's a cartoon that came out. And it was a, a full feature by Disney. And it was called The Lion King. And it was very popular. Lots of catchy songs. And there was this song in there that says, you know, I just can't wait to be king. It's a very catchy song. And, and I never thought anything of it. And so more recently, when a friend of mine ruined this cartoon... By pointing out to me that the only way that little Simba could become king was if his dad died. And, and I know why Disney didn't choose that title because it's not as catchy, right? I just can't wait till dad dies. Just doesn't have the same ring to it. But this is what the son is saying to his father. Father, give me my portion. You know, like for me... Uh, you're not much use, dad. If you were dead, I could have my money. So think about this and how this felt to the father having his son say that. In seminary, I had a professor, uh, Dr. Joseph Kidder. He was born in Nineveh and grew up, you know, Muslim. And when he became a Christian, his family tried to kill him. It's quite a testimony. I think if you look it up on YouTube, you can, you can find him sharing it. And eventually, you know, he was sent off and made his way to the U.S., you know, got his Ph.D. He's a professor at the Adventist Seminary now. And in and, and, and having a class with him, he shared that he's aware of two other times when something similar happened, when a son came up to his dad and said that, you know, uh, essentially, you know, can I have my part of the inheritance now while you're still alive? And he said in one of those cases... The father actually died of a broken heart. 
He felt so crushed that the son that he loved and he did everything for would treat him in this way that the father just died. He just stopped eating, became very ill and eventually died. Another father reacted in a different way. He had his son killed for disrespecting him in that manner. So, so there is this, you know, this is a real, as Jesus is sharing this story in that cultural context, this has a really strong impact where there's a lot of respect from the father and the son and, and all of this going on. And, and it's interesting also the, the, the story, the way it describes the father dividing, you know, the money or the property for his son. It says that he divided to them his livelihood. And this is a word that does not show up often. I, I looked it up briefly, and there's two texts uh, in Luke that, that jumped out at me. One of them is Luke chapter 8, verse 43, that talks about a woman who had a flow of blood for 12 years, who had spent all her livelihood on physicians and could not be healed by any. She spent all that she had. There's another story in Luke, cha- uh, Luke chapter 21, verse 4, and it's also repeated in Mark chapter 12, verse 44. It says, all these things, uh, all, for all these, out of their abundance, have put into the offerings for God. But she, out of her poverty, put all the livelihood that she had. And it's the story of the, the, the widow and the widow's might. She gave all of her livelihood. So for me, this points out that the father gave sacrificially to the son. And I have notes on this on my blog. If you look at uh, in the Old Testament, it would mention that the son receives, the, the younger son would have received one third of everything that the father owned. Two thirds goes to the oldest brother. And in case there were any sisters, you know, not in this story, but you know, a little bit less because of the dowry for the sisters. But the son gets one third. This is a big chunk of all that the father has. And he gives it to his son. And if we look in the text, it says on verse 13, and not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and journeyed to a far country and there he wasted his possessions with prodigal living. And that's where we get, you know, to the prodigal part of it. Prodigal living. This is where we get the prodigal son. And, you know, he's out there. You know, he's not concerned about money. He's just spending it. Because after all, you know, daddy just gave him this huge chunk of money. So he's living. He's having a good time. And there's this word prodigal. And I struggle with this word a little bit. Maybe it's because English is my second language. But I never hear this word used outside of this parable. In conversation, it doesn't come up, right? Oh, that person is living prodigally. You know, it just doesn't come up. So I, I tried to look it up. I looked up the, the original Greek, and it's uh, asotos. And I looked up the definition and it said to be living, you know, asotos means to be living dissolutely or profligate, profligately. I was like, this doesn't help me at all. Like, I still don't really know what it means. And I can't pronounce it in front of the church. So I looked up at a different dictionary that I found online. And I found there for the, the same Greek word, it's, it means to be living, you know, not living necessarily, but here it's describing living recklessly, wildly, in debauchery, in dissipation, or wastefully. And here's the picture that comes to my mind. The parable here, it does not give us details of the relationship between the son and the father. But in my mind, if this is how he chooses to live once he's away from the father, the issue might have been 
that the father kept curbing him and, and limiting him in what he wanted to do. He wanted to just live life and do whatever he wanted. His father said, no, you're not going to spend money on that. No, you're not going to behave in this way. No, you're not going to. So he kept limiting him and he felt, I'm imagining, that, you know, I would have a lot more fun if I wasn't around my dad. I would get a lot more out of life if my dad wasn't here to limit what I can and cannot do. If only I could do whatever I wanted, then I would find my true authentic self. And as I lived out true to my authentic self, I would find true and real happiness. So he goes out there, takes all this money, offends his father in, in the process. But now he gets to do exactly what he wanted to do. He gets to do everything he's always wanted to do, but his father would not let him. Does this make sense to you? The fact that he ran away from the father, he wants to live this selfish life. He wants to live just for his immediate good right now, wasting all the money and all of these things. And he's expecting to find true happiness. If it only wasn't for this person in my life telling me how to live, then I would truly be free and be happy and find joy. I came across this quote from Christ's Object Lessons. There's a whole chapter on this story. And if you have the time, I recommend you read it. I have a link to it on my blog as well. But many of you have this book at home. And here's the quote. Whatever the appearance may be, and I underline this part, every life centered on self is squandered. Whoever attempts to live apart from God is wasting his substance. He is squandering the precious years, squandering the powers of mind and of heart and of soul, and working to make himself bankrupt for eternity. The man who separates from God that he may serve himself is the slave of mammon or wealth and money. This got me thinking. In trying to find freedom, he became a slave to this way of living. And look at what happens next in the next verse. In Luke chapter 15, verse 14 says, But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. Things were going great while the money lasted. But eventually he used up all of his money. And it seems like things go wrong in clusters. I don't know if you've experienced this in your life. When he had money, everything was great. And as he runs out of money, there's also a famine, and it's hard to find a job. And things just get really difficult all of a sudden. Suddenly he wishes he had made different choices. How can I say that? Because of what the next verse says. Verse 6, 15 and 16 says the following. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. And he sent to him, and he sent him to, uh, into his fields to do what? To feed swine, to feed pigs. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods of the swine. But no one gave him anything. You know, there's uh, a commentary that I read on this. And it's really interesting talking about him longing to eat from the swine. He said it, it could mean that he saw the pigs eating and being filled, right? So the pigs are being fulfilled. They're eating. They're enjoying it. And he would have liked to have been able to be full also. But maybe it was psychologically impossible for him to eat such big food. 
Or it could mean that he would have liked to have eaten the food that pigs ate, but it was physiologically impossible since humans could not eat the same thing that the pigs were eating. And finally, it could mean that he would have liked to have eaten the food of the pigs, but that the citizen, the boss, would not allow him to do so. It is uncertain which of these is more likely. But what is clear is that the younger son has fallen as far as he can. He is working for a Gentile, feeding pigs, and in some way or another, contemplating breaking bread with the pigs. The pods here are carob pods used to feed animals. And at times the poor were forced to eat them. This young man had distanced himself from his father in order to live his life focusing on immediate gratification. Everything for his immediate pleasure. He distanced himself from the loving father who was providing for him because he misunderstood the care and the love of the father as being oppressive and controlling. He says, no, I want to do my own things. I know better than my old man. And all that he managed to do was to make himself well, as, as he was chasing after things that would make him happy, he found himself alone, hungry, weak, and miserable. And when he hit rock bottom, there came a turning point, a realization. Luke chapter 15, verse 17 says, But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare? And I perish in hunger. I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. After hitting rock bottom, he finally realized, my dad's servants are better off than I am. And, and this idea of being unworthy, this is interesting. I, I found one of the commentaries said the issue here does not involve the young man's legal status. It's not that he was no longer legally the son of the father. But his filial status, meaning a father like you deserves a better son than a son like me. He didn't feel like he deserved the love of the Father. And, I, and I, I appreciate this parable because I think it illustrates our journey as Christians. You know, there, these parables, I mean, there's some of us that, that like the sheep, we, we just get distracted. Next thing we know, we're lost and we can't find our way back and someone has to come and to grab us and to bring us back, right? The shepherd had to come and rescue the sheep. Last week, like Pastor Jason said, some can get lost inside the church and not even be aware that they're lost until someone comes along and helps them connect with God in a real and meaningful way. But many of us are like this younger son. We know what's right, but we feel like it's, it's stifling, right? It's, it's too much. There's too many rules. I'm going to go off and do my own thing. And we go out there and we realize that actually the rules and guidelines that were in place and, and perhaps, you know, our family, our, our God-fearing parents, you know, they were, they were trying to help and now we realize it, but we feel bad. How could I go back after the way that I treated my parents? After the way that I treated my friends, after the way that I behaved, I brought shame on my faith community. I couldn't possibly go back. And this is how the son feels. 
I don't deserve to be a son. And the thing is, and we're going to find out in this story, and, and we, are gonna, we find out this in life, we don't realize how much God loves us. Because there's nothing on this earth that can compare to that. So we look at people around us, and people fall short. And there are some of us here who have scars, and we've been wounded by people who claim to love us. Sometimes people from church. Sometimes people from our own family. And we see God in that way. I'll share a quick personal story. I wasn't thinking about this, otherwise I would have put a picture up. But I have a dog. He's a rescue. Uh, and he is a terrier and he loves to run and we rescued him and we brought him home and you know we had like a week to try him out and we we had him home for a week and and he was so shy and he was so quiet and he never barked and he just behaved so well we're like oh this is the nicest dog ever and we kept him and once that week was up man that dog he was running and barking and peeing on things and tearing up things like ah this dog and, and in our house in Georgia, we lived in a circle and there, we didn't have a fenced yard. You know, we had about an acre of land and it was just open and there was a creek in the back. So we couldn't really put a fence and, you know, and the dog loved to run and we put him out there. There was this steel cable. You might have seen this, right? You screw one part into the ground and then there's this long cable he could run around. And can you believe this little 20 pound dog chewed through the steel cable and took off? And I became known, I mean, I already knew my neighbors to a degree, but I got to know them a lot better with my dog because he would run off. And then here I go chasing my dog in the Georgia heat. And I'm running and I'm sweating and I'm apologizing to my neighbors as I go through their backyards chasing my dog. And in my mind, nobody ever said this, but in my mind, all my neighbors were thinking, look at this guy, can't even keep control of his own dog. You know, and there I go chasing my little dog and he runs off. And, and by the time I would catch him, sometimes you just get tired and just kind of stop and sit and let me pick him up. Other times a neighbor would pick him up and then hand him off to me and I bring him home. And I did not have the experience of the shepherd with the sheep or the woman with the coin. When I got that dog, I was like, why did you make me run? I'm covered in sweat. I'm late for my appointment. This was embarrassing. And the problem is because I react in that way subconsciously, unless I allow the Bible to change my view, I expect God to behave the same way about me. I expect God to just want to like grab me by the ears. Like, you know, and I don't know if you guys had this growing up where your mom would like kind of pull you by the ear and it's a quiet way of letting you know you messed up. And sometimes, you know, I, I'm afraid that God will treat me the way that I feel like treating my dog or, you know, for humiliating me, for making me look bad, for making me sweat, for making me late, for... Like, oh no, like I brought shame to the name of God and the way that I behave. And I, we become so ashamed. We're so unworthy of God's love that if we're not careful, if it wasn't for stories like this, we would be too afraid to come back to church, too afraid to come back to God, too afraid to ever pray again, to say, God, would you take me back? Maybe not as a child, but as a servant, I would be okay with that. And this makes sense in the son's mind, but he doesn't realize what the father is like let's continue with the story with verse 20 of luke chapter 15 it says and he arose this is the son he arose and came to his father 
But listen to this. I have this underlined in my Bible. But when he was still what? Far away. A great way off. His father what? Saw him and did what? Had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son says to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven. And in your sight, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. I love this because the way that Jesus tells the story, it says all this time the father was longing for the son to come back. He was not angry with the son. He was not upset with the son. He doesn't want to punish the son. He's hoping the son will come back. And when the son is a great way off, the father runs towards him and embraces him. And, and let's also notice the attitude of the son. The son is not making excuses for his behavior. He's not saying, dad, there was a drought. There was a famine. Things got really bad. I made a bad investment. No, he says, God, dad, I, I sinned. I sinned against God, first of all. I sinned against you. He admits it and he just places himself at the father's mercy. Can we come to God in this way? And stop making excuses. Oh Lord, it was, it was this person's fault. It was that person's fault. It was this thing. It was this situation. No, Lord, I messed up. I rebelled against you. I wanted to do what I did. And I knew I shouldn't, but I wanted to. And I did it. And Lord, just like you said, it blew up in my face. And it caused pain for me. It caused pain for my loved ones. But I don't want to live in this pain. I'm hungry. I'm tired. I'm lonely. And I want you back. And God just embraces us. He runs towards us. He doesn't wait for us to get everything fixed. He, the father didn't wait for the son to shower, change his clothes, stop smelling like pigs. No, he runs and he embraces his son. You know, Dr. Joseph Kidder talks about this as well in his lecture. And, and he says that living in the Middle East, he had never seen an elder run. If you're wearing a robe and you have to run, you have to hike up the robe. Shows your bare legs. It was disrespectful. You couldn't see the ankles, the legs of the elder. No, no, no. He even shares their stories of men, respected elders of a city that would get hurt. Because either something is falling, a building is collapsing, somebody dropped something, and they refuse to run out of the way because it would be shameful. Or a cart is moving towards them and everybody runs and they just walk and they end up getting hit. But... The, the respect and the, the honor thing is such a, a great thing that for, for an elder to run, it was very disrespectful. It was very humbling. But the father here doesn't care. His main concern is my son, my child is coming back home. He was dead and now he's alive. And there is much rejoicing. You know, there's, there's a scripture. Deuteronomy chapter 21 verses 18 through 21. You can turn there or you can just make a note there in your Bible next to this. Because this is where it says, and I'll read here. I have it already um, saved on my notes. Deuteronomy 21 starting with verse 18 says, If a man has a stubborn, a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, or mother and who when they have ch chastened him will not heed them, Verse 19, then his father and his mother shall take a hold of him, bring him out to the elders of the city, to the gate of the city, and they shall say to the elders of his city, this son of ours is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voice. He is a glutton and a drunkard. Then all the men of his city shall stone him to death with stones. 
so you shall put away the evil from among you, and all Israel shall hear and fear. So keep this in mind. It is legal for the father to have his son killed for what he did. He is disrespectful. He didn't listen to the mother or to the father. He would fit the description of being a glutton and a drunkard, at least while he had money. But the father runs, and some have interpreted this as the father wants to meet the young man before he makes it to the gate of the city because that's where the judgment would take place. That's a possibility. The way that I think about it, though, is a little bit different, is that this makes the son coming back that much more difficult. Because in coming back to his father, he is placing himself at the mercy of the father and the father could legally have him killed. But he trusts that his father will be merciful. And he comes and the father, even though he had that possibility, he chooses to go and to embrace his son. Another way of interpreting this commandment or this law in Deuteronomy 21 and this was from a professor at Bolotnikov in seminary. And he grew up Jewish and he had access to these other documents in Hebrew that go into further details in what the Bible has. And he says, well, the idea really was that if anybody was going to pass out the death penalty to a young man for being riotous and causing trouble, it would have to be the father and the mother. So in a way, this is protecting that young person because the father and the mother should be the most merciful towards them. So in a way, it shields them from the village just being angry at them and wanting to kill them. No, the father and the mother have to sign off on this. So it's a way of protecting rebellious children. Just a different way of looking at it. But the main point remains the same. Let's read together here. Verse. You can follow along with me. Verse 22 says, But the father said to his servant. So the son is, is confessing his sin. The father embraced him, kissed him. And the father now says to his servants, bring out what? The best robe, not his old robe. The best robe. And put it on him. And put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. And bring the fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead. And is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. This is the main theme. The best robe is not the robe, uh, not the former robe that he had left behind. This refers to the robe reserved for notable guests. The ring, through the ring, the father is bestowing on him authority. Bestowing authority on his son. The sandals. Sandals were a luxury at the time. And servants did not wear sandals. The son is not to be treated as a servant. He is to wear sandals. These individual details in the parable are not to be just, you know, turned into allegory. This is in a very real sense. The father is saying, no, you're not going to be a servant. You are my son. Your true identity that you went out there looking for, hoping to find it in the pleasures of the world, in the things that I said no to. Your true identity is as my son, my child. I provide for you. I love you. You will never be a servant. You will always be my child. Jesus is revealing in this story the heart of God. God is not interested in having us as his servants. He's interested in having us as his children. Now the children can work alongside the servants, but there's a difference. 
You see, the servant works for a reward, for a, a wage. We are children. We get to freely do according to our hearts. And we receive gifts. That's how God relates to us. He sets us free. He reveals his love to us. He gives us the gift of eternal life. And it's up to us to choose what we're going to do with our free will. Well, there's consequences. But we always come to the Father as children. And that never changes regardless of how we behave. When we come back, we are accepted as children. That is our true identity. Now, at the time, they didn't realize this. Jesus is trying to portray, reveal the heart of the Father. So he tells the story. But my friends, we have something that reveals it even more. We have the cross. We should have no doubt of the heart of the Father. Because that's how far he's willing to go to save us. God loves us. He doesn't want to punish us. He doesn't want to keep us away. He's eagerly waiting for us to come back. He will not force his salvation on us. But should we desire to be saved? He wants to save us. He wants to embrace us. He wants to clothe us. He wants to raise our status to give us his authority as children of God. This is what gives us our worth from the time that we are born, from before we are born. We are already of great value because of God. And the value that he bestows on us, we are his children. And we can only find our true meaning in life and joy and purpose in God. Anything else that we try is terrible. God is the one who gives us the insight of what life is all about. My friends, let's not pass up an opportunity to turn to God. Whenever you invite someone to come to Jesus, whenever you share about Jesus with someone, you invite them to come to church, you invite them to pray with you, you share a promise, you share, whenever you're bringing someone to Jesus, you're bringing them to God, what you're doing is you're not taking them to a foreign place, you're bringing them home. All of these stories, the sheep, it was, it would belong to the shepherd all along. The coin, it belonged to the woman all along. The son never stopped being the father's son. Coming to God is coming home. My friends, when people come into Cloverdale, when they come into our church, when they set foot in here, we should make it feel like they're coming home. This is what they've been longing for all along. This is community. This is people who care for you, who love you, who embrace you, who also hold you accountable and to help you to make better choices. The son needs help. It's going to be a journey. But you know what? He goes on that journey as son. He goes on that journey with sandals on his feet. He goes on that journey with a ring on his finger. He goes on that journey with the new robe. He's son all along the way. Yes, he's on a journey. But he never stopped being son. And he doesn't become more son or less son. He's a son. And that's the truth. And that's what we get to come home to when we turn to God. And I don't know where you are in your spiritual journey right now. I'm not sure if you identify as the lost coin, lost inside God's house. I don't know if you identify as the lost sheep. You got distracted and you found yourself away from God. Or perhaps as the younger son who just willfully, rebelliously turned against God and did what he knew he shouldn't do. But the main theme is clear in all these stories. There is much rejoicing 
when you turn back to God. And all you have to do is get up and turn. And he will run to you and meet you and embrace you and transform you and reveal to you what he has called you to be all along. Your true sense of worth and belonging and of purpose in life, it's found in God. If you want to learn more, I would love to connect with you. You can scan this QR code. If you're watching online, leave a comment. If you're here, just come to talk to me after the service. I'd love to encourage you in this journey. And just remember, it's a journey home. You're coming home to the one who's loved you all along. God loves you. It does not matter what you did. He can cover it. He can take care of it. He just wants you to come back. And that's it. And if you can take this message and share with somebody else, that's what we're called to do. Give them hope. Let them know it's okay. It doesn't matter what you did. Yes, it was painful. It was bad. You should have known better. It doesn't matter. Just turn to God now, today. And if you wish to do that, and you're here with us this morning, or if you're listening to this recording later on, I just invite you to join me in this prayer. And if you'd like to just make this a commitment and say, Lord, I'm either committing myself or a recommitment. I'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to stand as we bow our heads and pray. Lord, our God, what a privilege to come to you and to call you Father. Lord, the story that Jesus shared, such a powerful story. Reminding us that your love for us, oh, it's so much greater than we could imagine. And yes, Lord, you could have us killed for disobeying you, for rebelling against you, for hurting others. And we're so sorry for that. But it's so good to know that you don't desire to kill us. You desire to save us, to redeem us, to embrace us, to restore us. And Lord, as, as we accept that invitation this morning, as we turn to you and call you Father, as we confess that we have wronged you, we have rebelled against you, but we turn to you and we say, have mercy on us. We don't deserve to be your child, but we know that you long to restore us to that status of children. Lord, we need you to cover us with a robe. We need you to put sandals on our feet, as it were, to put a ring on our fingers, to, to restore us. We cannot do it on our own. And thank you, Lord, for the assurance that you do this, not only because of this parable that Jesus shared, but because of Jesus' death on the cross. We know that you love us. So we turn to you and ask that you would accept us. That you would cleanse us, Lord, from all unrighteousness. Lord, that you help us when we want to make excuses for our sins. We don't want to make excuses. We just want to confess we have sinned. Forgive us. Restore us. Save us. And Lord, may we share this good news with others because people need to know. Just like the prodigal son, Lord, there are so many that are trying to find their joy, their identity, their reason for living. They're chasing after money and power and fame and it's, it doesn't fulfill them. And they chase after the pleasures of life and it doesn't work either. Teach us, Lord, how to share with them that what they need is you and your love. And that to embrace you and to turn to you is to come home. To find the one who has loved us all along. 
Thank you for this message. Thank you for the good news. May we share with others and may we live it in our lives. We turn to you, Father, accepting your invitation. And by faith, knowing that you embrace us and that you save us and that you restore us. So thank you. I pray these things and I thank you and ask that you do them, Lord, according to your will, for your honor and glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.